So I don't know how your family does gifts. Some very large families, you know, you only have one person, like your, your special person, maybe you would give a gift to at Christmas. Some of you, you buy gifts for everyone. My family is you buy gifts for everyone. I always feel like um, my brother who has like five kids, four kids, however many he's got now, he keeps having kids. And it's like, you know, we get, it costs my wife and I a whole lot more to buy for them than when they buy for, you know how that goes, right? And sometimes we work things out. I think my least favorite practice that I've seen in my family sometimes comes from my dad. Sometimes he doesn't quite get around to actually buying the gift he wants to give. And so all of a sudden, you'll find one of these situations where it'll be he wraps up like a, maybe a box that has a little like picture of what he's planning to get you or <laughs> a note that's the intended gift. You know what I'm saying? There's something a little bit defeating about that, right? <clears throat> and you know that old Christmas prank. You can flip to the next slide there. You know that old Christmas prank where they have a big giant box and inside of it has a smaller box and inside of it has a smaller box and, a small, and at the end there's something hopefully good, but it's especially disappointing when it's like, oh, I was going to get you A. The problem with promises is they often are unfulfilled. The problem with promises is they're often unfulfilled. That promise of a new job, that promise of a new, oh, this is a new day uh, in our perhaps society, or we look for these, and then if we find out, boy, it's just more of the same. Or, worse yet, something like the joy of marriage, and yet then it ends, uh, the family struggles and breaks apart, and the grief that comes when there was infidelity, and the promise to stay faithful wasn't upheld. You know that grief. It almost makes me say, don't even bother. We don't need promises. You know, if you get around to buying the gift, then give it. But don't, don't lead me on. But we have something to celebrate. We celebrate a God who always keeps his promises. His word has never failed. His, his promises are always true. He always has fulfilled what he has set out to do, what he has guaranteed for his people. And in fact, it is very much that fact that we rest in the hope of eternal life because we have a God who has promised us eternal life. In Luke chapter 1, we see a story of a man who engaged a promise of God. And in verse 5, it says this, In the time of Herod, the king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. He belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. We can see already these were people who uh, were called of God, part of God's family. And at some point, Zechariah and Elizabeth came together as husband and wife and anticipated all the joys of living as a priestly family, serving God, being in his temple, being part of his people, and here celebrating the work God had called them to. And yet, what does it say? They were both righteous in the sight of God. They observed all the Lord's decrees blamelessly, but they were childless. Because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. 
they'd gotten to that probably third stage in life, right? Teseros, right? That third stage of life, right? They were older. They, they, they didn't have that hope now of having a child. The, the, the excitement of marriage, the excitement of all that they had hoped and dreamed, some of it, that promise, it wasn't guaranteed by anybody. But, you know, just statistically, they expected they would have had a child by now. And now, maybe that joy wouldn't be theirs. Maybe that little seed of discontentment was in their lives. It says this in verse 13, that while Zechariah was there in the temple, while he was there performing his duties, um, all of a sudden an angel of the Lord appeared to him. And in verse 13 it says this, but the angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call his name John. I wonder, was he still praying that they would have a child? After all of those years, were Zachariah still saying, okay, God, you're the God of miracles? Or had that been one of those prayers that, you know, fell off by the side? You know what I'm talking about? Oh, I've been praying for salvation for my brother or salvation for my, my parents or I've been praying uh, for my neighbor or I've been asking God to bring this healing, but it just didn't seem to come about. And we we're just about ready to kind of say, oh, I used to pray daily for that, but now it's one that slipped by the side. How long had it been? Was Zachariah still making that prayer? In verse 17, this angel who said, you will have a son, says, and this son you're going to have is not going to be just an ordinary son. He will go before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn hearts of the parents back to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. This would be a time that would be different than any other. This would be a time when this young man, would, this, this promised child would be something special. This promised child would begin to turn hearts back to the Lord. Families would be restored. This would be a credible time in, God's, in the life of God's people. I think Zachariah was like, oh, wait, I, I was just asking for a kid. I'd kind of given up. I, how could this be? And you're giving me immeasurably more than I could ask or imagine? Do you recognize that? Paul's, what he says to us, that God, who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. What prayers have you given up on lately? What are the things that you're no longer asking God to do? Are there places where there are family members that you're no longer lifting them up before the Lord that God would intervene in their lives? Are you no longer expecting God to actually open a door for you to share Jesus with that coworker? that not? Are you, well, I just don't pray about that anymore. Are you content with where even Valley Baptist Church is like, well, yeah, well, I, we, we can have a little bit of growth. Are you expecting God to bring revival again? Oh, Lord, make us a people prepared for you, for your presence, for your promises. Well, watch what Zechariah does. He asks the angel, um, 
Okay, you're, we're here inside the temple where only certain priests could go at a certain time to lay out the bread and put out. It's not that you just sat around in the temple. You didn't just hang out there for prayer. This was sacred, holy ground. And here, Zachariah is encountering this angelic being who shouldn't, by all accounts, be there. This is out of the norm. This is unusual. This has got to be something that obviously would make you say, well, obviously this is from the Lord. But Zachariah has his doubts and says, um, how can I be sure? My wife's pretty old. <laughs> this is not how it works. I, I'm pretty old. This is not very good. How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife, he doesn't call her old, by the way. Men, notice that. He does not use the term old. Just some wisdom there, I think, right here from God's Word. <clears throat> not, not old. Well along in years. Well along in years. Well, the angel says this. I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I have been sent to you to speak to you, to tell you this good news. God didn't have to tell you this. God didn't have to make you, give you this promise. God could have just done what he was going to do without any special like appearance by me. And let me face it, I am in God's presence. I see his truthfulness, his faithfulness, his goodness all of the time. And you dare say, how could this be? No, 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 no. God's promises are sure. God's promises are sure. And so here he's saying, I've been sent to tell you this. This is God's grace in your life. So here's the deal, Zechariah. You're going to be silent and unable to speak because you didn't believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. How many of us in this I don't even have to stand in line anymore, right? I can just like get a little app out and order my food at the fast food place so that it's ready for me when I get there because it's too long to have to wait in the line at the fast food place. Amazon has next day delivery and I gotta say, oh, really, next day? Can't it be the same day? Why aren't we doing same day delivery? What is taking so long? In this, where we are so impatient, we want you know, our television shows to wrap up in like six uh, episodes, not a whole season anymore of 28 episodes. I mean, everything has to be faster. Everything was quicker. We have immediate gratification. We can get any knowledge we want on the internet right away. Why do I have to go to school for four years? I do recommend four years of college at least, and please take intro to philosophy and ethics. Um, I, I, I want people to do those things. But we're ready to have the answers. We want to see God's provision. We want to see things to happen right now. Why in the world would God even send this angel? Because now Zachariah has to kind of doubt, kind of wait, kind of see if it's really going to come true. So what good are promises anyway? That's our question for the day. Look at the next slide. What good are promises anyway? Well, number one, God's promises cause us to re-examine our trust in God, right? That's what Zechariah had to do. That's what he had to face. He had to face his own doubts. Zechariah, who was this priest, Zechariah, who taught God's word to God's people consistently, who taught the stories about how God provided for Abraham, who taught the stories how God had led Moses in the desert, who taught the stories about how King David uh, had slain the giants, how God had built the temple with Solomon and filled it with his presence, who taught these stories year after year after year, when it came to his life, 
when it came to this moment of here's God fulfilling a promise in your life that's immeasurably more than all you could ask or imagine. Now Zachariah's got to face the fact, wait, do I actually believe God? Do I actually believe God's calling on my life? Do I actually believe God will do what he said he was going to do? All of us have to face this as we face that step into eternity. We believe in Jesus. We believe he died for our sins. We believe he rose from the dead. And then we take that step. Or our loved ones take that step. And where our faith becomes sight. Well, we have to choose to believe in the face of mortal danger. The, the, the fact that our bodies will wear out. We choose to believe what God has promised to give us eternal life. We all, the promise causes us to re-examine. Do we really trust? Do we really believe? But also, it leads us to new experiences with God. Let's keep looking at this story of Zechariah. Here it says in verse 21, Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering, um, why did he stay in there so long? Now, <clears throat> some of this is kind of like, is, is he just praying? Is he just hanging out? But realize that there was a sense of holiness among the Israelites because of God's commands. Zechariah got to go into the first area of the temple, the, the, the holy place, where they had the, the table of God's presence, they lit the candles, um, they had the bread of God's presence to represent that. The priests would do that daily and, and put out the fresh bread and light the candles and, and do all of this as a celebration. But it probably didn't take an extensively long time, and then you would come back out. But one time a year, the great high priest could go back behind the curtain that was in the holy place that separated it from the holy of holies or the most holy place. And that high priest went in there by himself with a rope tied around his ankle and bells at the bottom of his uh, priestly garments so that if he died for lack of holiness in the presence of God. The other priest could kind of pull him out, because if they go in there too, they're not going to make it. So nobody's going. So there's a sense of God's holiness. Now, although Zechariah was, was not in the Holy of Holies, God's still holy. He's holy in the Holy of Holies. He's holy in the holy place. And he is holy out here. And he's holy right here. He is holy everywhere. And yet we act as if he's not. Don't say curse words in church. Well, why can we not say curse words in church and say curse words out here? God's holy out here and he's holy in here. He's called us to be his holy people. There was a sense of holiness. And as he stepped a long time, they're kind of like, what happened with Zechariah? Well, when he came out, he couldn't speak. The people, it says, realized he had seen a vision, for he kept making signs to them, but he was unable to speak. It says that when his time of service was completed, he returned home. And after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The promise of God actually for Zechariah caused him to enter a new time. A time when he couldn't talk. Have anybody lost their voice for a while? 
or something else, like lost your sight for a while, or all of a sudden had to, I lost the ability to function or to move in certain ways, where all of a sudden you've got to adjust your entire lifestyle to some new reality, even if it's only temporary. What could happen if all of a sudden you couldn't talk? You're a teacher. This happened to me, of course, about a year and a half ago, right? The whole world changed when they said, oh, by the way, everybody go home and don't come back, (laughs) Um, and all of your classes will now be taught online. I was like, never taught an online class before. Sure, I'm sure it'll work. How do you do that? We didn't know what we were doing. And then for an entire year, we've all had to learn how to do something different. Zachariah had to learn how to communicate, how to work with his wife, and oh, by the way, with his pregnant wife, Yeah, it was a new experience for them. Could you imagine getting ready for a baby? Many of you have had that experience. Do you get the baby room ready? What do you do? For months, they lived out a new reality. They had new conversations, or at least Elizabeth did. (laughs) They had new conversations about what was going on in their lives. A new time for Zechariah of silence and prayer before the Lord. A new time. Now, many of us have have hit this, right? We've anticipated a wedding coming up, and and we've had months to prepare, or maybe weeks (laughs) for some of us. We've had a long time, but it was getting ready for this new thing getting ready for this new experience, this time that was really a time of joy. Do you think it was also a time of fear? I feel like even in our church, at least for me, this has been a time of joy, but it's been a time of kind of worry and fear. How is this going to work out? How am I supposed to raise up a young boy? Not me, but how Zachariah was thinking, how am I supposed to raise up this child who's supposed to prepare the way of the Lord? And this guy who's going to be great before the Lord, who's going to turn me. What do I need to teach this boy? How do I need to help him know God's word? I mean, that's anticipation. What if I don't do it right? Anybody have those thoughts? I know I have. How do we take this promise of God and it causes us to enter a new time of dependence and of seeking the Lord and of seeking his provision and guidance in our lives? Promises are good because they make us re-examine our own lives. But promises are good because they lead us into a new time of walking with the Lord. I hate to confess this, but when I was leaving New York... The Lord spoke to me and said, you know, I'm going to move you. Way before Vicki ever said, you know, I'm finishing my PhD and I want to start applying for jobs elsewhere. God already spoke to my heart. And he actually spoke to my heart about why. Because when I moved to uh, New York to start a new college ministry, I was young and scared and depending on God and praying. And, but, you know, after 14 years, after doing it year after year, after the successes and blessings that God had given, it was fine. I know what to expect. I got it covered. I can handle this. God will often make his promises, I'm going to move you. I thought it was sort of like, no, like discipline. But instead, it was actually a calling, a promise for something new in my life that once again I would enter that new phase to be dependent on him. So yes, God's promises lead us to a new time. 
a new time of our experiences with him to transform us for our good. But finally, God's promises create new opportunities to witness. Can you imagine Zechariah? <clears throat> okay, I mean, he couldn't talk at first. Can you imagine Elizabeth talking about, yeah, Zechariah, he had a vision. I'm not sure. He's, I haven't gotten much at, more out of him about this, but I'm pregnant. Yeah, I don't know what God's going to do here. Look at what happens for Zechariah. Verse 63. When the baby was born and they dedicated the child and they named the child, they asked, what is the child's name to be? And Elizabeth says, John. We don't know how she knows it's John. Maybe because Zachariah wrote it down for her um, and said, hey, you need to name him John. And this is a promise from the angel. I'm sure that over the months that somehow they communicated as a family. And she said, it's John. And they all said, no, no, no. You don't have anybody named John in your family. So they turned to the father, Zachariah, so that, that Zachariah could give the final word on what you would name the child. And Zechariah wrote down, his name is John. Verse 64, immediately, back up one for me, Carson. There you go. Um, immediately, his mouth was open and his tongue was set free and he began to speak, praising God. Listen to what he says. His father filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel. He has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up, the next verse, he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant of David, and he has said through his prophets of long ago. He immediately begins to speak praise of God, but specifically refer to not just things about John, but about the salvation that God had brought in his son Jesus, or would bring in his son Jesus. He says, just as God had spoken long ago, this teacher of the law, this one who was familiar with the prophets, immediately begins to go to the prophecies of long ago. I wonder if we would see that prophecy that would come up uh, from long ago from the prophet Isaiah. And in the Isaiah, there are these references that were specifically about Isaiah's time. In Isaiah chapter 10, it says, Therefore, this is what the Lord the Almighty says, My people who live in Zion, do not be afraid of the Assyrians, who beat you with a rod and lift a club against you as Egypt did. In Isaiah's time, there was a new world empire that continued to grow in power. The Assyrians continued to expand. In fact, this Assyrian empire would ultimately destroy, take over, disperse the northern ten tribes of Israel. During Isaiah's lifetime, he watched the kingdoms, the, the tribes of Israel fall, and only the kingdom of Judah was left. If you want to see a little map, Carson, give us a map. <laughs> and there's the Assyrian Empire as it continued to grow. And you can see that it, the green, it extended all the way down to wiping out Israel. The little orange spot, that's the small little kingdom of Judah, the only one that held out. And it only survived because of a miraculous intervention of God during Isaiah's day. But it's interesting. This prophecy that was about the, Isaiah, the Assyrian attack was not really about the Assyrian attack. It goes on to talk about how God's ultimate provision would be in a Messiah king. Look at chapter 11. There's still the same text, still the same prophecy. Isaiah says, because a root will come up from the stump of Jesse, from his roots, a branch that will bear fruit. That's Jesus, the vine. 
We're just the branches. It says the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, on Jesus. A spirit of wisdom and of understanding. A spirit of counsel and of might. A spirit of knowledge and of fear of the Lord. Who will he be? <laughs> well, look at verse 3. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He's not going to judge by what he sees. His eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. My brothers and sisters, we need justice in our world. The Lord brings justice. Let's go on. The infant, he says, will play near the cobra's den. Um, parents, that is not recommended, by the way. Uh, this is when the Messiah is here. So, you know, okay. And the young will put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as waters cover the sea. Peace, restoration, and truly knowing God. We don't have to teach everyone because people will know him. God has made his word available. And we have people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation who know the Lord and continue to make the knowledge of God cover the earth. And I love that image. As waters cover the sea. I don't think of water covering the sea. I think, well, water is the sea. In fact, it's water all the way down. It so fills the ocean. What else is in there? Well, okay, fish and seaweed and stuff. But, I mean, the ocean, plastic because of us. But beyond that, the ocean is full of water. Do you realize you are the fulfillment of that promise? Jesus has come. He has given us his word and the knowledge of the Lord through his spirit and through his word. And now he has placed you in your workplace, in your family, in your living areas. He has placed you at like the water in the ocean to saturate, to saturate this world with the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are the fulfillment of that prophecy. Because the Messiah has come. This root of Jesse, look in, this, in that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for all peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. As Zechariah was praying, as Zechariah was saying that you have brought a horn of salvation, both for your people and for the nations, these words of Isaiah must have been ringing in his heart, ringing in his mind. They need to be ringing in us this Christmas, not just the Christmas bells, but the message of the glory of God that he has come. He is a banner for all peoples, that all peoples can come to this Christ, not a child, but this Christ, a Messiah, Savior, resurrected King, who brings forth a new day, a new life. He is the banner for the people. He is the resting place of God in us. So what will the Messiah bring? When our Jesus returns, he will be that good and wise leader. And right now, through his spirit and his presence in us, he is the good, wise leadership in us. He will bring right judgment and justice for all people when our Messiah comes and the kingdom of God is here. No longer will there be disparity. No longer will there be abuse uh, of one people abusing another. That will end when Jesus reigns. 
there will be justice for all people and peace and reconciliation for all those relationships that are broken. And his glorious presence will be among us always. In fact, in Revelation it says, won't even need a sun or a moon because God is, will be their light and he will bring light to the city, his people. I love these promises. They give me hope. I love these promises. They make me excited. They give me joy, not just at Christmas time, but always because our Messiah has come. And yet, I don't see all of those things all the time. In fact, sometimes I feel like our own leadership, whether it be governmental or right here in the church, okay, even with my own finances, <laughs> doesn't always seem wise and good. I don't see peace. I see conflict. I don't see justice being done. I, I, I see inequity. I, I don't see these realities. The writer of the book of Hebrews says this, in putting everything under him, that's under Jesus, God left nothing that is not subject to him. Rulers, authorities, powers, and, and, and the spiritual forces in the heavenly realm, they are all in submission to Jesus right now. He says, but yet, even though God has put all things under Jesus' feet, yet at the present time, we don't see everything subject to him. It's a promise. Yes, the Messiah has come. Yes, he has brought salvation. Yes, there's forgiveness of sins. And it's not yet. All that the Messiah will bring has not yet come. And the Holy Spirit is here today, but our new glorious resurrected bodies, that is to come. A society that is full of justice, well, we are to be workers for that justice, but there will be a day when we don't have to work anymore because it will be here. Jesus will return and his kingdom will come and we will be his for always and forever. We're getting ready for Christmas. We get excited about Christmas. The promise of a day of joy and celebration with family and friends is coming, right? It's here. The promise is here. But it's not here yet. Promises are good. We need to reexamine our hearts a little bit. Do you believe? Are you believing God's promises that he will bring about this new day, uh, both spiritually in heaven and bring about this Messiah's return? Number two, are you walking with God in the anticipation uh, of what he's going to do in this church and in your life in these days of uncertainty, days when inflation is on the rise and our economy seems to go up and down and there's global conflicts and there's home conflicts? Are you walking with God into these days of uncertainty with the confidence that comes from knowing that his promises are sure? And finally, and I think this is a biggie for us today, are you testifying? Is your life filled with joy that only comes from believing those promises, from celebrating those promises, from rejoicing when Zachariah, he couldn't even speak, and he had to be making signs all the time, writing stuff down. I'm thinking Zachariah trying to make known, this is what God's going to do through my son when he's born. And now that his lips were loosed and he was set free, it, it, praise just came out of his mouth. Are you ready? Is your heart filled with joy? Some of you are saying, Mike, this sounds good, 
but I'm not there. I'm just not there. How do you get there? I think it begins with a prayer. Lord, remind me of your promises. Fill me with your spirit. Give me the joy that only comes from believing both in your son and believing what your son will do, both in us and through us this year. Maybe that's our prayer together. Would you stop and pray with me? Lord, you are glorious. You have fulfilled your promises and not one word you have spoken has ever failed. And those that are not yet fulfilled are guaranteed. Lord, we ask that you would fill us with joy. Would you overflow in us? Would you make us those that as we wait for you to break the barriers, we would be faithful in prayer, that we would bring to you those requests day after day, that you would move. And God, would you make us as a church, as a people, a people that are filled with the joy of the knowledge of you and that we would make the knowledge of you cover the world like waters cover the sea. Give us no rest, Lord, in prayer. Help us be those that finish what you called us to do. We pray this in the name of Jesus.